Last week, we wrapped up our sermon series on the ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, it was a, a fun, I thought, enlightening series. And uh, uh, I think led to a lot of good discussion in Sunday school. And somebody asked me last week, they were like, well, Jordan, what are you preaching after this? And I thought, oh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm preaching after that. I hadn't, I've been sur- kind of surviving my life. And uh, hadn't really thought ahead. And so um, today we're, we're going to uh, uh, actually one of my favorite passages. I love this passage. Uh, it's from Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read part of it now and then the rest of it a little later in the sermon series. This is a call of the prophet Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim uh, flew down, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. For your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We'll pause, we'll pick this back up. Now, we're getting into Isaiah, and I know a lot of you read Isaiah all the time, but let me give you a little bit of an orientation of Isaiah here. Okay, Isaiah is a prophet. Really, um, if, you, if you track through the whole book of Isaiah, it seems to be written over a long period of time. Most scholars think it's sort of three different books that have been sort of merged together over time, maybe. We're not quite sure, but, but clearly this is early in Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah's a prophet, and we have a lot of misconceptions about prophets. We tend to think prophets foretell the future. But actually, the prophets don't do that very much. In fact, the Bible says the greatest of the prophets was Moses. As far as I can tell, he about never did that. Okay, What prophets actually do is speak a word of the Lord. And sometimes that's the future, but a lot of times that's now. What is God saying to us now? What is God doing now? And so Isaiah was a prophet who spoke God's word to Judah, the southern part of Israel, in about 700 BCE. Okay, so a long, long time ago, everybody. And, and for the first five chapters... He's sort of talking about just how bad Israel and Judah have been, that they really haven't followed God. And then in chapter 6, he comes back with his call story. This is how God calls me, and he talks about his vision, which is a really kind of weird timing if you think about it. Most of the other prophets, if they have a call story, you know where they put it? The beginning. Right? I'm talking about, but for five chapters, Isaiah talks about how bad the people are. We're going to get to why that is, I think, as we get along in this story. And so Isaiah has some kind of vision from God. He's caught up into the presence of God on a particular day. The text says 
in the year that that King Uzziah died. So there's this there's this King Uzziah. You all know Uzziah, right? Okay, Uzziah was a pretty good king. Okay, in, in Israel, that's saying a lot. There are a lot of really bad kings. Uzziah was a pretty good one. He followed God. He really kind of helped get some gain some power. Uh, made some alliances with some of these superpowers that were coming to to, to uh, control up near Iraq from Israel in what is modern day Iraq. And so he sort of protected the people. But then Uzziah started thinking he was a little too big for his britches. Okay, so he was a good king for a long time. But then he decided, you know, a lot of people worship their kings. I think Israel should start worshiping me. So he goes to the temple and he starts having sacrifices to himself. And in fact, at one point, he kicks the priests out and says, I'll just be the priest. I'll lead the, I'll lead the worship and the worship can be partially aimed at me. And God does not take too favorably to this. Uzziah actually becomes a leper. God strikes him with leprosy and he stays the king, but he can't stay in Jerusalem. He's got to live in a leper community outside of Jerusalem. And so Uzziah was this really mixed bag, right? He was this great, good, you know, this good king who then fell and then he died. And if you're Israel, this is a moment of panic, right? I mean, Uzziah was the good one and he still failed and flopped. Who are we going to get next? And if you're Israel, normally you don't get two good kings in a row. It just doesn't really happen for, for them. And so, so there's this, this, it's this panic, right? It's this letdown. So, so on that, in that year, somewhere around that time, Isaiah is taken up into the presence of God Almighty. And I, I think the way the description is, it's probably a vision because of some of the wild things that he sees. Okay, it's kind of like this big version of the temple. It's this throne room of God. And he sees the Lord seated high on his throne, lifted up. And God is so big. The Lord is so big that the text says the edge of his garment fills the room. That's how big God is in his temple. Like, like the hem of his garment from the knees down just like whoop, takes over the room. Hey, this, this is why I think it's probably a vision. Like that's not real literal in the physical world, right? Um, sounds more like a vision some of you may have had in the 60s, if you know what I'm saying. So um, he has this wild thing and then he sees... These characters, right? They're called seraphim. Seraphim. They're angels. They're only mentioned here, okay? And they look crazy. On the back of your bulletin, I gave you a couple pictures so that you can get an understanding of what these may have looked like, okay? They have six wings. They fly with two, they cover their face with two, and they cover their feet with two. You know, just like you picture an angel, right? Okay? We picture Cupid. Cupid's not even a Christian thing. Okay, that's not an angel. Angels are weird. Other angels are covered in eyes. Okay, they're weird, weird looking creatures. Okay, so he sees these six-winged, these six-winged creatures, and the word seraphim, the word seraph actually means burning. The, the, the name is burning ones. And so if you look at art of seraphim, some of them are, are made of fire. So you got these fiery six-winged creatures. Okay, sounds more like the 60s now, right? And these burning ones. And they're singing praises to God. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And when they praise God, the whole temple shakes. Smoke fills the place. Okay? 
These beings are so struck with the holiness of God, they just keep repeating these phrases. And they cover their faces with their wings because they can't even show their face before the glory of God Almighty. So what do their words mean? Well, holiness, holiness is a word that just means other. Okay, it just means other. It just means set apart. Okay, so when you, when you talk about something being a holy, it's just totally, wholly different than we are. That's what holy really means. But, but they say it three times. That's important. Okay, have you ever done that? You, you ever had something and you're just like, wow, wow, wow. Or no, no, no. You, 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 whenever you say it three times, but in Hebrew and actually in Greek too, uh, it's very important because there's no word for very or really in Hebrew or Greek. Okay, so if something is hot, it's hot. If it's really hot, what Hebrew will say is that's hot, hot. Okay, it's hot, hot. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, right? You just repeat it. If you repeat it twice, that's like saying very. But if you repeat it three times, if something's hot, 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 it's incredibly hot. It's like ultimately, infinitely hot. And so when the angels are saying, holy, 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 these, these weird burning winged creatures, they're saying, they're saying, God is so other, other, other. So ultimately, infinitely different than we are. That's holiness, that God is so different. I mean, think about it. The, the train of his robe fills the room. That's how holy the God is. And when you, when you praise God, the whole place shakes. And then they say that the, the whole earth is full of his glory. So what's glory? Glory is that part of God's holiness that is reflected around us. Okay, we can't handle the holiness of God. But it's reflected sometimes around us, the glory. Okay, it's like the, the sort of essence, sort of the shine of God's glory reflected in the world. The Old Testament talks about that. You go out and you see the beautiful leaves. You're seeing the glory of God. You're seeing something of God's otherness reflected in the world. We can't handle his holiness, but we are surrounded by that part of God that, it, that we can see, feel, sense. The word actually means weighty, like, like something weighs. There's a heaviness to God. And, and so we can't handle the holiness of God, but, but the weight of God. Sometimes we can get glimpse of that. And, the, and the, these fiery creatures are saying, hey, this place is full. Of, like you can't get away from it. It's full. So here's Isaiah. He's caught up in a vision. He is face to face with the otherness of God and the weightiness of God. And he reacts exactly how most of us should react. He says, holy, holy, holy crap, I shouldn't be here. Right? He panics. As soon as he, he, like, as soon as he sees the glory and the holiness of God, he's like, I, I, what does he say? Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah looks around and says, I should not be here. Well, I, I do not deserve to be here. Now why, why unclean lips? Well, your lips is where your words come from. Jesus himself even says in Luke 6.24 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, so in some ways in the scriptures, your mouth is a reflection of your heart. Okay, I've got unclean lips. And, and I notice he doesn't just say, I have unclean lips. What does he say? He says, I am from a people of unclean lips. Now we see why we're in chapter 6 and not in chapter 1. He's already spent five chapters talking about how bad Israel's doing it following God. 
And now he's saying, I come. I come from a people of bad lips who say terrible things. That's me. I am. Woe, woe is me. I should not be here. Now, this is not a very American idea that we should say, woe is me, that we should acknowledge our shortcomings. Aren't we supposed to be positive, have self-esteem? It seems so negative. How many of you, sometimes when we do a prayer of confession, it, it just seems kind of wrong. Like, why are we always talking about our sins? Not even just that we sin, but that we are sinners. That's like, a, like an identity. Why would we identify with, with what's wrong with us? Hold that question in tension as we keep going. Because we're going we're gonna to see how that plays out. So one of the seraphim comes down, flying with two of his six wings. He takes a coal from the altar and puts it on the lips of Isaiah. Now remember, what did he say? I am a man of unclean lips. So the, the angel comes out and says, okay, well, let's, let's clean that up. Let's go clean your lips. His guilt is taken away, and the text says his sin is atoned for. Atonement is a, is a rich word, but it's not that complicated. Okay, because in the word it says at one. Okay, atonement, at one meant. It's a relational term. Okay, so, so by the angel saying atonement, it's not just forgiveness. It's, okay, yeah, you don't deserve to be with God. But here I go, I'm going to clean you up. Now you can be in right relationship with the Father, with, with the Lord, with this Holy One that you can barely handle the train of His robe. See, this is the gospel. This is the gospel right here in the Old Testament. You're unworthy, and now you're made worthy because of something that God does. God does something to clean you. And this is before the New Testament, where the ultimate altar, the cross, Jesus comes down from that and actually gives you atonement forever with God. This is a really nice little foreshadowing of Jesus' atonement on the cross from the altar. Then the Lord says... Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says what? Here I am. Send me. No more woe is me. Now it's send me. Woe is me to send me. This is a really, really important move. This is why we got to get confession, why it's so important. So often when we feel unworthy, okay? How many of you sometimes feel unworthy, right? Like God calls you to do something, you're like, I, I, I can't do that. Nope, I should not do that. God, you probably just move on to the next candidate. You know what I mean? Because this is, I'm not going to be able to do this. How often we feel unworthy, unable, right? Suddenly we have kids and we feel totally inept, right? I, I cannot handle this. And here's what we think. We think when we feel unworthy, we are unworthy. That we think just because we feel unworthy that we are unworthy. But I want to tell you that paradoxically, those are not together. Just because you feel unworthy does not mean you are unworthy. In fact, I think a lot of times with God, when we feel worthy, that's the problem. Okay? If you in your life, if God calls you to do something, you're like, yep, I got this. You got a problem. You really should evaluate that. Okay? Because one or two things could be happening. Number one is, you're the source of your power. Okay, number one, you're the source. So you're like, I got this, God, I got this. Partially what you're saying to God is, I don't need you, I got this. That's problematic. Or two, you're looking at stuff that's so small, it is easy for you to do. 
right? You got, you got these little baby goals. You got these little baby callings. And you're like, yeah, God, all right, I got that. No, I think as Christians, we should be looking at these big things. Like, give me the stuff, God, that I look at and I think, I, I don't know if I could do that. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. See, if you, if you say, I've got this, it's a problem. Actually, what you need to do is say, woe is me. You need to start with woe is me. See, there's a journey that you're supposed to go on from woe is me to here I am. And if you miss the woe is me, you're never going to get the here I am. If you're not thankful to Jesus for all he's done for you, if you're not coming from this place of gratefulness for God's atonement, then, then, then you're just looking at yourself. You got to go the journey from woe is me to here I am, send me. You, you think you're not worthy? Good. Good. You're ready to get started. That's actually the start. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem for Isaiah's people is they're not willing to say woe is me. They're not willing to have their lips be cleaned. They don't think they need God. Okay, Uzziah didn't. And the people really didn't. And so they need to go on the same journey that Isaiah has gone through. So it's, it's not about having low self-esteem. It's about acknowledging your flaws and your need for Jesus and coming out of that as your strength, not yourself as your strength. Now, that's all good and interesting, but let me read to you then what Isaiah has to do. I'm going to continue. Verse 9. And he said, go say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the house without people and the land in desolate waste. The Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terabith or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So here's this crazy. This is the hard part to get. In fact, um, if you look up the, what's called the lectionary, which is the, the sort of three-year cycle pastors preach certain texts on their certain days. In this passage, these verses are in parentheses. Kind of like, you can preach these, but you may not want to. Because what's the message? The message is Isaiah. I need you to go prophesy to these people and tell them they're not going to be able to see it and they're not going to be able to hear it and they're not ready for it. And unfortunately, they're going to have to go through exile. They're going to have to go through all kinds of pain before they can come back and actually hear the message that you have. Why doesn't God just speak clearly? I mean, what, what exactly is God up to here? Actually, Jesus quotes this in Matthew 13 when he's asked why he teaches them parables. Okay? And he references this. Hey, blind, blind can't see. Deaf can't hear. Why? Why doesn't God... Do you ever wish that? that what, God, why don't you just make it clear? Like, God, if you would just send me an email and like lay out exactly what you want, I would be so faithful to you, God, if you would just make it clear. Okay, but God does not send me emails. God never makes it clear. And it's frustrating at times. And it had to be frustrating for Isaiah. Isaiah, are you, are you ready? Who, who can I send? Oh, God, send me. Okay, go out there. They're not going to listen to you. 
They're not going to listen to you. They're not ready to listen to you. They're going to have to go through all kinds of pain, but you've got to tell them anyway. And there's two frustrations there, right? One for the people. One for the people. Like, why doesn't God just make it clear? And I think God doesn't make it clear. And Jesus teaches the parables because he knows we've got to be ready for the message. Okay? Like Isaiah had to get his, his lips cleaned. We've got to go from woe is me to here I am. And what he understands is the people aren't ready. Jesus knows the people in his crowd aren't ready. Like he's got to get them ready. But also this, this harsh idea for Isaiah. That sometimes God calls you to do something and it's not going to be received well. This is another very un-American thing. Like if I'm going to work on something, I expect good results. I expect it to work. Right? I want success. I want people to hear it. And God says to Isaiah, hey, go out there and prophesy. I'm sending you. But they're, they're not going to listen to you. It's frustrating sometimes when God will send you, but he won't promise you the results. What's Isaiah's question then? How long? <laughs> How long I got to do that for? Yeah, that's the, that's the tough question, isn't it? Sometimes you finally get brave enough to do what God calls you to do, this big goal, and it doesn't go the way you want it to, and you say to God, How long? How long does this prayer not get answered? How long does this mission not work? How long does this business flounder? Here's the freedom of Isaiah. Here's the freedom of Isaiah. If you want to know what God has, if you know what God has done for you, truly, if you get in touch, this is why we have to do prayers of confession. If you really know what God has done for you and how loved you are, then you can let the results go. You could just be faithful where God sends you. Results, whatever. You know, what, um, uh, feeling successful, feeling worthy. You can let all that go and just very loosely trust in God. Just hold your life loosely to say, I'm not going to worry about the results. I'm not going to worry about exactly where you send me. Here I am. Like, honestly, open your life and give it to God. But to do that, you've got to go from always me to here I am. And that's the journey that Israel is going to have to go through. They're going to have to go through the exile to actually have a, a, an understanding of what God has done for you. For them. So, so let, here's my encouragement to you. You could go through exile or you could learn the lesson from Isaiah. <laughs> right? You can, you, can, you, can, you can go through your life and really feel the pain of needing Jesus. Or you can just get on your knees now and accept it and live out of that. So that's my prayer for you. That you would move from woe is me to here I am. Here I am, send me. And that we would be a congregation that just says to God, okay, send us. Wherever, wherever you're sending us. Whatever the results, we're going to be faithful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.